This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. My guest today, Riley Knox. He's an outdoor enthusiast, realtor, real estate investor, and a recent GoBundance member. He and I actually chatted about him joining. So uh, good to meet you in person, Riley. Good to nice see to you, brother. Meet you, Jamie. <laughs> so you're uh, up in, in Maine, from yes. Maine. You're one of the young guns of GoBundance. Give me a little bit of backstory, a little bit of background on you. Uh, uh, where, did you grow up there? All of that stuff. Yeah, I grew up in Maine. Uh, like I've got a pretty, pretty, I would say, typical childhood. Um, parents are divorced, uh, college, high school sports. It really, I guess for me, like my story really started like 17, 18 years old when you start trying to figure out that big question, like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Yeah. And basically I was good at math and science. So I went to the guidance office at my high school and they really pushed engineering, you know, so you got to be a scientist or an engineer. Nobody really ever asked me if I like to tinker on things, if I was intrigued by any of that, that took their, took their advice and applied to engineering school. So yeah, that's really where, where it started for me. And I think that was kind of one of my gripes with the modern education system. We sort of push people towards their strengths sometimes rather than um, their passions. Within the first 30 days, 60 days of engineering school, I knew it wasn't going to be my thing. It wasn't going to be my life. But at that point, I was already like $20,000 in debt. And I was doing the math on what it would take me to get out of that debt working construction. <laughs> and I figured it was going to take me like five years to pay off my debt working construction, or I could just finish my degree. So stuck it out, finished my degree. And my my mother had always um, you know, told me, you know, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says, in all things your hand, hands find to do, do it with all your might. So even though I you know, really have one foot out the door, absolutely crushed it, you know, did well, graduated. I met my wife when I was in college. And that's a whole another story. And one of the great, the greatest successes of my life, I would say, is um, <laughs> convincing her to marry me. Um, I graduated, worked for the Department of Defense as a nuclear test engineer for about a year and a half. We had already purchased our first investment property when, uh, before we got married, when my wife was, uh, when I was in college. Got married one week after I graduated. And then when I was working for the Department of Defense, about a year and a half into that career, we had just purchased our second investment property. Um, my wife got pregnant. I had a scary experience falling asleep at the wheel and decided that I was going to leave my job and pursue real estate full time. It's my passion and would allow me to be with my family more. Um, so since then, we uh, we purchased half a dozen more buildings and grown our real estate portfolio to 39 units as of yesterday. Um, closed on a seven unit yesterday. Pretty excited about that. Congratulations. That's more or less my story. And you yeah, joined yeah, abundance yeah. in January and it's just been a great, great experience. It's been three months already. Wow. I feel like we just yeah. chatted, but wow. Yeah. We're recording in early April. Um, by the time this releases, it'll probably be about six months that you're in. So and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about abundance and how that's been for you and everything else, but let's go back a moment. When you're, it's funny you say about the guidance counselors, they push you to your, like, I like what you said, they, they push you to your strengths, not your passions, right? 
I'm a big fan of The Big Leap, this book. Gay Hendricks is a guest on the show. His episode will be out by the time this one airs. Uh, and he talks about being in your zone of competence, your zone of excellence, and really the big leap is to go to your zone of genius. And so they're pushing you into your zone of competence. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Right. Where were your parents in that? I'm curious. Like, what did mm. they do? Were they encouraging? No, hey, go that path. Did they have other 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 ideas for you? Were they just not involved? Like, where were your parents uh, in, in that? Because you're still a young guy. You're 25 years old, right? So this yeah. is fairly recent compared to some of us. <laughs> but um, where were your parents in this discussion? Were they in agreement with? Did they have any any say the other way? I'm just kind of curious what that was like. That's a great, great question. Um, so my mother at the time, um, I, what I actually wanted to do when I graduated high school was take a gap year and hike the Appalachian Trail. Mm. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. I was really set on it. Um, my mother was at a place in her career. Um, she started working as a receptionist for an insurance company when she was 17 years old. And at this point, she's in her early 40s, bumping up against the you know those executive level positions, really hitting the ceiling in her career. No college degree. And, you know, she had just kind of had a counseling, not a counseling, but a, almost a coaching session with one of her bosses, you know, who really told her that it's a degree. You need a degree. You know, you need a degree. That's the thing holding you back. She was at this place. No one in my family had a college degree. I, you know, I'm definitely a first generation college student and I was talented. So she just, in her mind, she was like, man, you need a degree. You need a degree. And she was so afraid that I would... um go hike the Appalachian Trail and then never get a college degree. And then 20 years later, I'd be in the position that she was in. So with all the love in her heart, she wanted me to get a bachelor's degree. So we actually made a deal that if I got a bachelor's degree, she would get a bachelor's degree. And uh, we both made good on that deal. So that's that's kind of where they were in yeah. that whole process. You know, one thing I think that she did encourage me often was to remember, and this is like, this is really important, I think, just because you're on a path and you've made progress down that path doesn't mean that you should continue down that path once you realize it's not the path that you want to be on. The question I asked myself a lot and one of the things that my mom helped me to think through was, you know, hey, if you're, you know, two years into, let's say, college, right? And you go back and ask yourself, you know, hey, if I had a clean slate, would I have chosen this path a second time? If the answer is no, then you know, it might be worth choosing a different path right now rather than carrying through just because of previous decisions. Now, that's interesting about the college thing. And this would have been just a, well, just under 10 years ago, right? Seven or eight years ago that this decision was being made. And oh my, how things change. You, you and, know? It's, and it's super young. Like the whole, yeah. you know, you have to make a decision on what you're going to do with the rest of your life at 17. So yeah. much ridiculous amount of pressure to put on a 17-year-old. And then the reality is, it's just not true. I mean, I'm 25 now, and I don't know what I'm going to be doing in three years. You know, most people in their 40s are still content. Like, life is so fluid now. The days of working for a company for 40 years and getting a pension is just not not reality anymore. Even, even Which is great. Need, That's progress. Yeah, even the need for a degree is is in the last six, seven years become... And, and look, that was my thing. I didn't get my degree. I hated college. And I got this job with an insurance company that thankfully didn't uh, didn't necessarily value that. And I, you know, climbed the ranks to this executive position. Uh, but I remember being recruited by other companies to be an executive for them. Right now, I'm 20 years into a career or 17 years, whatever it was. Right. With like 
you know, large scale leadership experience across a very specific industry, overseeing multi-million dollar lawsuits on the claim side, right? All of that stuff. Proven track record of success. Everything. But one company in particular that was based in Boston, large, large insurance company, Liberty Mutual, a huge company. It was like, oh, yeah, but you don't have the four-year degree in anything. They didn't even need like, well, we need an MBA or we need this, that. It was just like, you don't have a four-year history degree. So we can't even think about bringing you in. And I wasn't, again, I was like, well, you called me. Like, I I don't know. Like, if there's a great package out there, sure, I'm going to listen. But And they would take me through. I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. And like, oh, no, no degree. It, It always blew my mind. And the defiant person that I am was like, screw them. I don't want to work for them anyway. Right. Like if they need a degree to validate my experience or what my value is, and that's ridiculous. And I I'm sad to hear that your mother went through that. And I am amazed though, that how, you know, if that happened six years later, like, you know, more like today, I doubt that would be a requirement anymore because most Mm. places are finding the, 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 that like, you know, degrees are not the way to to hire anymore. It's just not the case. Right. No, we're definitely moving towards a a talent and skills based society. I have very different emotions and thought processes around my daughter and, you know, what, yeah. what opportunities we're going to make sure are available to her. Yeah. Jeff Hoffman, the, the uh, Priceline founder, booking.com founder, he was on billionaire, right? He was on the podcast and I don't know if his, I think his released already, but I'm losing track of all of them. But he, uh, he talked about how people don't want to go work for Apple for the next 30 years anymore. They want to go work on the iPhone 14. That's what talent does, right? Yeah, that I episode work on- is out. It is out. Yeah. I want to work on the iPhone 14 and then I'll determine as a talented individual if I stay on after that, like kind of the gig economy. And um, to your point, yeah, talent wins. Those that want the job forever. In fact, I think he said it or might be a little suspect as far as like, are they just looking to not do a lot and collect a check? So very interesting. And I guess that was for me, one of the biggest reasons I left the employment field I was in. Yeah. So, you know, for an engineer, for me, for my educational background, ground my degrees in marine systems engineering. And I landed a job with the Department of Defense as a nuclear test engineer, which if you had told me that four or five years ago, nuclear test engineer, that just sounds, you know, wonderful. Yeah. And one of the things that was so demotivating for me personally, as I looked around and realized that specifically inside of government employment, if I had shown up to work, clocked in, clocked out and converted oxygen to CO2 for 40 years, I would have continued to have a job. Um, is that? It is, and you it's know. amazing to me that your your mindset is there at your age because a lot of people just sort of they they waft. I did that. We just drift through life. Your mother, and I, I apologize if I missed it. She got the degree. Did she end up getting the promotion as a result? She did. She did. Good yeah. for her. So she's yeah. in her element right now. She's still there. Yeah, and I tell her all the time. Yeah, she, well, she's with a different company now, but I tell her all the time that you know it, it was hers for the taking, with or without a degree. But yeah, she got it done. I love it. I love yeah. it. Um. All right. So first investment property, you met your wife in college. We'll come back to that. But I want to touch on this real quick. How do you buy an investment property in college? Like, what is the mindset there? Like, where did that come from? It sounds like mom was a, you know, more W2 mindset. Maybe dad's the entrepreneur. I don't know. I don't know the relationship with dad. But for you, like, where did this like, hey, you know what? I should buy investment property. That makes sense when you're, what, 20, 21 years old. Talk to me about that decision. Yeah. So it wasn't me, actually. Um, My wife purchased our first investment property when we were dating. She had some debt from a previous marriage and we were working through that together. So just like classical Dave Ramsey stuff, right? And uh, paying off debt, paying off debt. At the time, she was living with a family member um, for for really cheap rent, basically. You know, she was in her early 30s and 
that wasn't sitting well with her. She wanted her own place. But when we're doing the math on the spreadsheet, like, I don't know if we should increase your living expense right now when we're trying to pay off debt. So what we came to is like, well, what if we do, we knew nothing, right? I'd never heard of bigger pockets. I had nothing about cash flow, nothing. The only thought we have was like, well, right now you're living really cheap where you're at. What if we, what if you bought like a duplex or something that had another tenant and then, and then it would be like a, basically a break even on your monthly budget. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. So we, we had a real estate agent, a good friend of ours who who really treated us well, really knew what he was doing. We we really didn't. And the goal was never even cash flow. It was just like looking for a nice place that was visually appealing to my fiance at the time, girlfriend at the time, um, and in a good neighborhood. Yeah. Bought this three unit, she bought this three unit on an FHA loan for $135,000. Took a loan from her 401k to do it. Right. So we're into this property for like seven grand money borrowed from her 401k. Um, it was a still own the property today. It's a little two family, a two bedroom house uh, with two small efficiencies that were probably added on later off the bat. And our mortgage on that place was like twelve hundred bucks. That's all. And in each of the apartments were renting, escrowed the whole. That was like our total escrow yeah. everything. You know, it was about, about twelve hundred bucks, and the tenants were paying like seven fifty a piece. So at the end of the month, like after we got paid our mortgage, paid our electric bill, put some oil in the tank, we were living for free. And I didn't even realize this until, because she lived there alone for the first nine months. And then when we got married, I moved in with her. Mm. And I'm sitting down, the bill's coming in the mail, the checks are coming. And I'm like, this is, this is genius. We're living for free. And that was for me, that's when the light bulb went off. We actually moved back in with that family member, rented out that unit. And then we saved, you know, at, at the beginning, it was like the slow grind. I talked to everyone about kind of the hockey stick approach. It took us 18 months of saving every penny to save enough money to buy our second owner-occupied investment property. That's that's how we got started. It was really, we knew nothing about nothing except that, you know, my wife wanted a place to live and, you know, she didn't want to increase her cost of living to do that. I want to come back to after the second property, you know, the 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 momentum since then up to 39 units a day. We'll come back to that. But just staying on the timeline a little bit here. So you get married, you're in your W2 job as a nuclear very fancy sounding thing. I forget what you said, but nuclear was in there and <laughs> that sounds fancy. You have an investment property like you said, sort of like okay, just some place to live, but oh, actually we're living for free. That's great. And then you had this uh incident, scary incident at the wheel. What was this incident that you had? Yeah. So if we're tracking with the time frame, we had just bought our second investment property. So we were living in Augusta, Maine, uh, mm-hmm. living in Farmingdale, Maine. And I was working in Kittery, Maine. It's 110 plus miles one way. Yeah, I'm spending an hour and 45 minutes to two hours each way in the car. And I had to be at work at like five o'clock. So I was waking up at 2.45, hopping in the car and driving down there. I'd always been a drowsy driver, totaled a car in college, falling asleep at the wheel, like at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning, perfectly good weather. So I'd always kind of been a little bit drowsy, but we had just found out uh, that we were pregnant. Um, So this is the first time I have this drowsy driving experience with these fresh, I'm going to be a dad thoughts running through my mind. Like we found out we're pregnant, like maybe a week or two before that. And yeah. Fall asleep at the wheel, wake up to my passenger 
tire crossing the rumble strip on the left-hand side of the highway, overcorrect, and now I'm you know perpendicular to the direction of travel going sideways down the highway, tractor trailer truck, you know, and I'm just overcorrect, overcorrect, overcorrect. And I must have done that flip-flop five. It felt like it felt like a 10-minute scene. Yeah. Ended up coming to rest unharmed on the side of the highway, pulled out of the median and drove to work. But on the way down there, I'm just I'm thinking about my new responsibilities as a father. One that this lifestyle of like I was working 12 hour shifts uh, on the shipyard, we would go into these testing cycles and I would work for 40 to 60 days consecutively sometimes in these 12 hour shifts with four hours of driving on the other side of that. So wasn't a healthy lifestyle, wasn't going to be a healthy lifestyle for having a family, having a daughter. And I just started thinking about my daughter and the fact that like I wasn't passionate about this at the end of the day, you know, I was going to this job. And I just, there was nothing wrong with the job. I just wasn't passionate about it. It wasn't my highest and best. So I came home. Actually, what I did is over the next three or four days, I wrote my wife an email, just this big, long email with kind of all my thoughts, why I wanted to leave my job and enter real estate full-time. My plan was to get my real estate license. Sent her that email. She was super supportive. I mean, I wicked analysis paralysis on that move for me. Uh, wicked scarcity mindset on my end. My wife was like, "You got it. Let's go." <laughs> you know, and I'm running the spreadsheet like 300 times to make sure we're not going to miss any bills. And um, she's like, "No, nope, I believe in you. Let's rock and roll." Shortly after that incident, I gave my notice. My I was planning to leave my job on Friday, September 13th. Friday the 13th. Mm. was the day I was supposed to leave my job. And that Wednesday, my wife miscarried the baby um, while I was at work. And uh, super, super tragic. It's a hard thing to prepare for if you've never been through it. For a a woman, Like, I mean, it's just like losing a, a child that had already been birthed. It was true mourning. So here, we just made this big life decision. I'm gonna quit my job. I'm gonna be a father. You know, like we're doing all this stuff so that we can have a baby and raise a family. And I'm T minus 48 hours from walking out of there for the last time. And now we don't have a baby and questioning the whole decision. Got home and, you know, in the, in the midst of my wife's like emotional turmoil, we're now trying to figure out, hey, are we, are we going through with this? And she's like, yeah, I want you to do it. You know, you made a decision based on what you're passionate about. And they, you know, the door was still open at work. If I had told them, you know, like let's let's just forget the two week notice, we're going to keep working. They'd have been fine with it. Uh, but we we went through with it. One of the incredible things is I didn't even realize how much stress I had in my life. I was 23 years old, having unbearable back pain at the time. Um, seeing chiropractors, seeing my PCP. One of the problems was that I was sitting in a car for four hours a day, and then sitting at my desk for another eight to twelve. And they're like, you know, you're just, you're going to have back problems if you sit for 16 hours a day and, and then sleep for the other eight. The day I went to work, my last day, September 13th, I drove to work with so much pain. I'd have to pull over on the side of the highway, get out and walk around the car just to stretch. When I left, I never had back pain again. Like literally. And so I don't know if it, if stress was part of the thing. Yeah. Um, that was leading to it. But I mean, I've never experienced the pain again, ever since then. Yeah. Uh, no, I, it, it's it's incredible how that happens. But stress is, I mean, that's the core of all, everything. They say it's the, it's the, the doctors say the silent killer, right? Everything is rooted back to stress. I've had my seven-year-old 
that went in like, wow, something's going on with him. And it turns out it's just some sort of stress he's feeling, right? Like a, a pain in his side or whatever the case would be. All tests negative, just stress. It happens to everybody. So I definitely believe that, you know, you relieved something that was weighing on you and you could feel it physically, which is amazing. So this was two years ago. Um, yeah. And it sounds like your wife, if I'm getting the number, she, she's a little old, like six, seven years older than you. Yeah, you're right. So she's 11 years older than me. 11 years older. Okay. So what's cool about that is, you know, she has, cause you, when you said it's hard for me at 43, honestly, to listen to, to hear like at 23, you being, uh, unsure about leaving, right? Like dude, 23 in my mind, I'm like, you're 20, nothing to lose, nothing to lose. But your wife had that perspective for you, right? I mean, she's got a little bit more experience in life. She's been through a few things. She knows, uh, you know, this, that, or the other. It's really cool that you had her support in that because she does have that experience. And even buying the rental property, right? She's got the perspective of saying, just makes sense that we, you know, get a rental property. And then she has the, the financing and the foundation and everything else to, to, yeah. to buy that. And one, one, of the, one of the things is, one of the, so my plan was to get my real estate license. And again, scarcity mindset. I got home from work, opened up my computer and took a 52 hour course to get my real estate license in 72 hours. Mm. I mean, that following Monday, I had finished the course. Like that was my, I was so afraid that we were gonna be broke. Yeah. Um, and I have read a statistic from the National Association of Realtors that said something about 70% of real estate agents licensed under two years made less than 10 grand after taxes and expenses. So that's like, that's, that's what I was preparing for. Actually made my, not made my wife, but asked my wife to commit to me that if I made $0 for 12 months, she would be okay with that before I, before I pulled the trigger. And one of the things she said to me was like, and this is really impactful. uh, You know, she said, Riley, that statistic doesn't apply to you. That's just not you. You know, you have a track record of success. You've crushed everything you've ever done. Don't worry about that. That's, that's not you. That's not you. Um, and that was really, really impactful to me because I was kind of like comparing myself to the worst case scenario, uh, which was maybe like uh, the lowest common denominator. A lot of part-time agents, people who aren't really committed to it. You know, there's just a lot of people, various levels of commitment in the industry. Yeah. And she, you know, she knew that that wasn't going to be me. And she was, she was, she was betting on me all along. So that I mean, was amazing. And at you- this point in my life, my mom, who previously yeah. had had a scarcity mindset. Yeah. Like previously, she was like, you got to get a college degree. You got to get a college degree. At this point now, six years later, she's on my wife's side. She's yeah. like, you know, go for it. Go for Of course, you're going to have success. And if you don't, you can always make a different decision later. Nothing is permanent. Yeah. Um, you experience, ladies. I love it. How did you meet your wife? Uh, in church. In Gosh. church. Um, crazy, crazy story, but, um, yeah, crazy story. She was married, uh, when I, so the first time I ever laid eyes on her, I told my mom I was going to marry her. I was 16. Yeah, I was 16. The first is the only time in my life I've ever said that, but I said, you know, I'm going to marry that girl. My mom leans over to me in church. Of course, she actually knows who she is. I don't. And she says, no, you're not. She's married. And, uh, and that was the end of it didn't speak a word to my wife, you know, didn't speak a word to Emily for six years after that, other than pleasantries, you know, she was married, it was off the table, I dated other girls. What I didn't know is she had at that moment when I had made that statement, she was recovered, she had, she had just finished recovering from brain surgery. So she had had 
uh, brain cancer when she was 25, 26 years old. She went from perfectly healthy, three grand mal seizures and emergency brain surgery a week later. Uh, they removed like pretty large chunk of her brain, like almost the size of my fist wow. in her left frontal lobe. Yeah. And uh, so I didn't know any of that. Um, and yeah, anyway, long story short, you know, six years later, she was no longer married. And um, I was not going to let that opportunity. Here comes Riley. Here comes <laughs> Riley. It was crazy. Wow. I was actually at lunch. I was actually at lunch with another young lady um, when I got a text from my mom that said, you know, Emily's divorce is final. Yeah. Um, and, and I was, that young lady, you know, we were just friends, you know, um, and, uh, she was going to pursue a different relationship and she was wicked excited for me to pursue that relationship. So it was pretty much all over after that. So what a, what a powerful thing, especially at a young age to see the power of visualization, setting the intention, right? Like putting out in the universe, this is what I want. And it happening. I mean, at 16, right? You're looking at a, a yeah. woman at this point, you're a kid, she's a woman, right? And now, and now, you know, six years later, you're both adults and here it is. It's amazing. Yeah. And the, and the, the surgery, like that explains a lot for me. I mean, yes, your wife is, you know, she's got you by 11 years. So she's got some life experience, you know, like anybody would just by living 11 more years to say, Hey, it's going to be okay. But the perspective she must've gained through the ordeal that she went through to have, mm. you know, brain surgery. And One everything. of the things that attracted me her, to her the most is yeah. you know, we always kind of talk like inside go abundance. We talk a lot about living each day to the fullest, you yeah. know, my wife just had this thing about her where like she had pretty much already faced death, pretty much stared it right down. Right. Right. Yeah. And she was living each day, you know, with no regrets. Like she was just living. She had that kind of mentality. She wasn't a lot of the really superficial kind of societal things that we all get into. Um, like she, she was just, she was loving hard and living hard and, and being a great friend and a great person to everyone around her. Um, and part of that had really come from the fact that, she had already had one of those experiences big time. And that actually shaped up our thought process around, we didn't know anything about real estate investing, but we knew we needed to be financially responsible. Sure. The type of brain tumor that my wife has had statistically very, very likely to come back within the first seven years. Mm -hmm. uh, so that the year we started dating was year six. The year we got married was like year 10 it was just, it was a high recurrence cancer. So, so we, we went into our marriage with this knowledge that, Hey, there's a pretty good chance that at some point in the future, we're going to have a round two with cancer. So we were trying to set up our finance for me. My thing was, if we ever get in a position where my wife has to spend six months on a hospital bed, I want to be able to be there. And that's like, that was my first financial goal was just, I want to be able to be there. Now, thankfully, MRIs every 12 months, and there's been no change in her brain cancer. But, um, so I told you we miscarried that baby. Gonna say, got pregnant yeah. um, again, about a year later. Um, and at the same time that we got pregnant the second time, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, so here's our round two. We have round two with cancer. And breast cancer caused a whole bunch of complications with the pregnancy very, very hard to treat cancer and, and a pregnancy at the same time because um, cancer targets rapidly dividing cells or chemotherapies target rapidly dividing cells and a baby is a rapidly dividing cell. And anyway, like completely out of the blue, 
no preparation on the most normal Sunday morning ever. Like we were celebrating Christmas early with some family members, taking our sweet time. We had a little bit of a concern, went in to see the doctor, super chill. Not We're not rushing to the hospital at all. Have a 30-minute conversation with the doctor. Doctor does an exam. My wife is fully dilated. The baby's transverse. We need to have an emergency C-section in the next 15 minutes. Uh, we're 28 weeks pregnant. I'm going to ask how far 28 weeks. Yeah. My wife was supposed to stop chemotherapy prior to ha- prior to the delivery. She had a pre-chemotherapy treatment three days before that. So long story short, crazy delivery story. But my, my baby was delivered at 28 weeks. She was the size of a Poland Spring water bottle. She was two pounds. This is in the middle of COVID. Baby gets on an ambulance, goes to uh, Portland, Maine, um, to the neonatal ICU down there. We follow. Now, it's COVID. So if we leave the hospital and get exposed to COVID, we're not going to be able to see our baby for 14 days. So more or less, with few exceptions, we spent 67 days in the NICU in a 10 by 10 room with our baby. And for me, that was one of the greatest successes, accomplishments in my life. Is I originally we had we had set it up. We had thought my wife would end up being the one that needed my full time attention. In, in reality, Aspen ended up needing that. Um, we spent that time with her. So today, I've got a happy, healthy wife, happy, healthy baby. We're through it all. So thankful. I guess my thought around financial independence. In our community around financial independence and wealth building, a lot of times we love to talk about vacations and travel and sort of the really nice luxuries that can be afforded through being financially responsible and growth-minded. But also another good reason to be financially independent is because, as as my good friend John Brigante would say, when feces hits the rotating oscillator, you get to make decisions that are based on your values and not based on your finances. Most people's value in that moment, in that season of life, is to be with their family because their family needs them. But for so many people, the reality of their situation, which is like, if I don't go to work, we're going to lose our house, creates a conflict between their values and their reality. Um, so for me, that's one of the biggest reasons to be financially independent. So you can live your values without compromise. I love that, man. Closing one loop. And then I want to have a question for you. But your wife having a, a large piece of her, you said, left frontal lobe removed. Any effects from that? Does she suffer any 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 deficiencies, any, any gaps? In the any moment, in the moment, yes. Um, I mean, for the first year after the surgery, I mean, she had to relearn how to walk, had to relearn how to talk has some insecurities around speaking um, because for so long she couldn't. But no, today, if you met my wife on the street, you'd have absolutely no idea. Only people that are really, really close to her would notice. The only two things I would say is her reaction time is just a split second slower than what I perceive would be average. And that's because she her brain is doing all the functions but it's different portions of the brain performing functions they weren't designed for. So it's the equivalent of walking on your hands. It can be done. It's not ideal, but it can be done. So just, and I mean a split second, you'd have to know her really well to know. And then fatigue. Mm. Most people 
um, can get a second wind. You know, you have a real tired day, you'll get a second wind. My wife never gets a second wind. Got it. If we're having a stressful conversation, she'll fall asleep right in the middle of it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. She, she, no second wind. Her, her sleep is really, really crucial for her. So your wife goes through, I mean, two amazing ordeals. I don't mean amazing in like a good way, but like, oh my God, you know, brain cancer, which is, you know her, but aren't married to her at that point. And then later she has, well, three, then she has the miscarriage. Then she has the, the, uh, the, uh, the breast cancer, um, uh, issue pop up while she's pregnant with your now daughter. And then you are in a hospital for 67 days with a wife recovering and a baby that you're, you don't know what the future of the 28 weeks, that's what, seven yeah. months, right? So you've got all this going on. So, uh, and financially, we're going to talk about that. We're going to get to the, you know, the, the remainder of your, of your portfolio and how you kind of built that and all that stuff. But what do you do for you? It feels like you're the center of all of this. And I, I get it. I mean, your wife is vulnerable in that situation, right? She's pregnant and has breast cancer. Your baby is vulnerable, right? Your baby needs to be, you know, loved and treated. And, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Inc like in an incubator to get to the full term, essentially, oh, yeah. right? Before before being able to know, hey, is my baby going to be, is my child going to be viable or not? So all of that happens. That's fine. You're on the other end of it. But for you, you're a young guy, man. You got a lot going on. You know, this, that's a lot for anyone. I mean, never mind, you know, somebody who's 25, 24, 23 going through this. Poof. What do you do for you? How do you how do you keep yourself? How do you make sure you're not breaking down? How do you keep your mental health in check? Yeah. So, I mean, as you can see, I'm wearing this shirt, right? It's got a it's got a little my wife would actually she's a cardiac nurse. She would know what this thing is called, but a, a heartbeat, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And a mountain. So for me. Um, outdoors, nature, the mountains, extreme adventure. So during that 67 day time period, I didn't work. A great team at my office took on a lot of my responsibilities. The only thing that I left the hospital to do actually is climb a mountain. Oh, no. Um, my, you know, my good buddy who's with me, you know, through it all supported me emotionally and whatnot. Um, you know, ended up calling me and was like, Hey, you know, you need to get out, you need to get out. So we went ice climbing right in the middle of the whole thing. Um, and that's, for me, that's exercise, physical activity, getting outside. And I just, I've got such great quality relationships in my life. Um, the hardest thing for this exact situation, it's hard enough to have a premature baby. My wife was, so my stepfather basically uh, left his job to become my wife's designated driver to drive her back and forth to these chemotherapy treatments she has to go to. My mom was able to work from home. So my parents basically, who lived about 10, 12 minutes from the hospital where our baby was being held, they quarantined with us so that we would have some support system. Because we we were cutting out when we weren't going to church, weren't going, no one, none of our friends, we weren't seeing anyone during this time period because the risk of exposure that would end up preventing us from being able to be there for our daughter was too great. So it was my parents' house, chemotherapy, and mountaineering. <laughs> really the only things that we were making time for. Um, and, but the hard part for us was like all of our normal support systems, the normal family and friends that we would see in time of need, our church family that we would see in time of need, most of our ability to exercise, all of our outlets were not being utilized. It, it was a really tough season from a mental health perspective, uh, being in a 10 by 10 room with my wife and um, 
my wife whose health was unknown and my baby whose health had a giant question mark at the end of it. That's a lot. That's a lot. Kudos to you, man. God bless you. That's a lot to go through. I, I, I'm putting myself in that scenario right now, picturing my wife, my kids. I mean, I feel so fortunate that, you know, my, my kids, you know, fairly normal, uh, you should call it normal. Like there was no, really no, they were born and they're here, you know, like there was no, uh, there was none of that that you went through. So it makes me really grateful for that fact that, uh, you know, you, you take for granted, like, oh yeah, you had a baby. Right. But then you hear stories like yours. It's like, man, it could go so many different ways. And it just, it, it just, I don't know, your story gives perspective, I guess is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. Wow. I mean, that was to me, uh, uh, that we'll talk about the business just because I feel like we have to, but let's dive Carol, into let's this real quick. It. So Coldwell Banker, I believe, is who the brokerage you're with now. Tell me about your your real estate uh, uh, realtor kind of career. What does that look sure. like? What do you do? Are you are you active? Is it more just so you have access to MLS for deals? You have a team. Yeah. It sounds like like frame that up for me. So I'm with Cobble Banker Rizzo Matson. So Cobble Banker is a franchise. Rizzo Matson um, is a franchisee. I'm an associate broker. So when I got my license, no, very much treated it like a real time a full time job. I had no business the day I got my license and I was in the office for, you know, a 40 hour work week, basically, because I was like, hey, if I fail, I'm going to fail working. I'm going to fail trying. And, and my biggest thing, I had done the math on what I needed to, you know, what do we what do we need to earn here to make this feel like a successful transition? Yeah. And I was making maybe 70 grand at my W-2 job, right? So my first thought was I need to make 70 grand to to make this a worthwhile decision. But then I started doing the math and I was like, well, I actually pay like 25 grand in taxes and cost me 10 grand a year to, you know, drive back and forth yeah. to work. <laughs> you know, I was like, I really only need to make like 30 grand a year, you know, to just to kind of break even. Yep. That first year had a really successful year from, from my point of view, um, was able to completely replace my W-2 income as a real estate agent, which is a hard thing to do. I, I counsel a lot of people who are looking to get into real estate agency. And it's a tough business to to make a living in. And, and my wife um, had a W two job at the time. She was a cardiac nurse working full time. So that allowed us to be able to weather the storms, if you will. So yeah, today my business um, I work. I'd say maybe sixty forty. I might maybe do sixty percent of my business in the multifamily investment space, work with a bunch of investors, and maybe do about 40% of my business with home buyers, home sellers. Um, And then this last year, so crazy, 2021, which started more or less from December 13th, 2020 to around Valentine's Day, 2021, 2021 started for me in the hospital. And then we got home from the hospital with our baby and I was working, you know, working, um, doing a lot of remote work. And then when my wife finished her last radiation treatment in August, we packed up, got in the car and went on a 67 day celebration road trip with our newborn baby. Um, we spent 33, 34 days in a tent or sleeping in the snow with my baby. And we just were like, you know what? Everybody just almost died. You know, my wife almost died. My baby almost died. This has been on my bucket list since I was 10. We're doing it. We're doing it. Um, So we spent 67 days in the hospital. We spent 67 days on a road trip. Yet my real estate sales business in 2021, you know, absolutely doubled my goals for the year. Best year I've had to date. 
mind blowing how well the business went, even though it really wasn't my primary focus during that period of time. What do you attribute that you had a team or you have a team, it sounds like, or at least some people do assist you with this. Do you attribute it to being able to leverage that team or what do you attribute that to? So I don't really have a team. <laughs> um, independent contractor, no yep. one directly on my team. I have wonderful people in my office who are colleagues. Got it. Anna being one of them. And uh, we trade work back and forth. And when we were, when we were in the hospital, Everybody covered my workload out of the kindness of their heart. Mm-hmm. Um, when we went on vacation, I, I just paid people. You know, my, my clients, what they really want is my advice, my knowledge, talking through the contracts, you know. So I, I pay people on the ground in, inside of my office, some of our newer agents, um, to show some properties and stuff. And Anna, again, Anna took on a lot of my workload during that time period. Um, okay. Yeah, that's kind of how that went. I I don't think I've set up my business in such a way that I could spend that much time away frequently and do that well. Because so much of real estate agency is lead generation. It's relationship building. It's hard to do that successfully when you're consistently not in the market that you're working in. That makes sense. It's funny when you first initially said uh, for the first part of the year, I was in the hospital. I was like, oh, God, now what? What happened to you? I'm thinking. But then I was like, oh, oh, with your baby. Got it. But I'm I'm looking at all the stuff that we just talked about. So, you know, you've been you you graduated college. You got married. You got a W-2 job, almost died on driving to that W-2 job. Your wife miscarries, gets cancer. You have a, a baby. You take on a new career. You quit your W-2 job. You retire from it. Uh, and you scale to 39 units, but you're 25. <laughs> so all of this has happened in like three years, three or four years at this point, which is crazy to me. So when did the timeline was you got your first property while you were in college, 18 months later, you bought your second, just sure up the timeline. What year was that or month and year? Yeah. Do you recall? So 2017, August, 2017, uh, sorry, October, 2017, my wife buys her first property on her birthday. July 2019, we buy the second property on an 11% down owner-occupied loan. That's a four-unit. Got it. This is and a pivotal. Then, then we miscarry the baby like two weeks later. Okay. But this is, we're talking, we're, we're uh, what, 2019 to 2020, 2021. So really like two, two and a half years from that point is where we stand right now. Maybe coming Correct. up on o- almost three, right? So two and a half years or so, and you're at 39 total doors. So. Yeah. How did number three, number four, number five come to be? Did you just start this, moving house to house, house yeah. hacking or whatever? This is what did you do? I'm, share, I'm excited to share. And I've honestly been a little bit nervous to share it too. Cause you know, you always get judgment for how you built what you have, uh, but this was a creative deal. So we, we had just bought that second property. My grandparents are over for dinner and they're telling us that they are going to winter in Florida for the first time. They're going to rent a house in Florida and go down there for the winter and they want to know if we'll house sit their house for them. And me, now the smart real estate mind that I've got, I'm like, hey, we house sit for them to rent out this apartment and get an extra thousand bucks a month. So, and we haven't, we have not miscarried the baby at this point. And I'm like, yeah, we'd be happy to house sit for you guys. Would you mind if we came a little early? You know, I'll throw the apartment up online now. It's maybe August. And, uh, if we get a taker, can we move? And they're like, oh, sure. We'd, lo- you know, we'd love it. We'd love to have you guys be here through the winter. Put the apartment up. The next day, a couple of drives down from Boston, drives up from Boston, on the spot, cash in hand, great credit. They want to rent the place. I'm like, you know what? When God gives me a sign, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. Move in with my grandparents. 
Now, again, this was an owner-occupied loan. We're supposed to occupy this property. Um, and truly, we had. Done, I'm a very above-board kind of guy with that type of stuff. And I'm like, hey, we were when you sign the loan on an owner-occupied property, it says you intend to live in the property for 12 months. And that's important. Like, if you violate that, it, it can be mortgage fraud. Yeah. So I actually go to the bank, and I'm like, hey, we intended to live in this property for 12 months. Mm-hmm. We got pregnant. Things changed. Um, I had just left my job, so this extra thousand bucks was gonna like make our budget work. Yeah. Um, like we're gonna move in with some family members. The bank was like, no problem, perfect. So moved in with those with my grandparents. They went to Florida. Great house sitters we are. We followed them to Florida, and this is where it gets interesting. Um, we had already gone under contract on our third property. So early 2021, we bought a three unit. Okay. on just more money we had saved up. But then my grandfather has been saying for about a decade, somebody buy my house and let me live in it. Somebody buy my house and let me live in it. He met someone like 20 years ago that had sold his house with a, a life estate, right? He got to continue to live there. Yeah. And he was always, I mean, they, they, don't, they don't have any savings. You know, they're living on social security. And he says, somebody, somebody buy my house and let me live in it. He'd already offered the house to, all three of his children at super steep discounts. Nobody wanted it. So finally, we fly down there, spend two weeks with my grandparents in Florida. And I'm like, hey, what do you, what do you guys want? What do, you, what do you really want here? My grandmother's like, I want to die in that house. I want to die in that house. That's what I want. I'll live in that house till the day I die. Don't care how. That's what I want. My grandfather, because of course, they're, they're trying to get money. And they'd already been looking at a reverse mortgage. You know, not a big fan of those. And uh, my grandfather said, um, there's a trailer, a mobile home for sale uh, next to some friends of ours down in Avon Park, Florida. We'd like to buy it. It's $35,000. And I would like uh, to have $5,000 to buy a new car if my car fails. So they're asking, you know, I want $40,000 for the house and we want to live there. We want to live there till the day we die. So we did out the math and I was like, you know what, 1500 bucks a month. That's like seven years, basically, of the house is worth maybe 200000 mm. So it was like, set, basically, they would be giving me a $160,000 discount on the house in exchange for letting them continue to live there. Mm. And it all worked out to about seven years of prepaid rent. So mm. if my grandparents live longer than seven years, they got a smoking deal. Yeah. Um, so um, we did some thinking on it. And we, we executed the deal. So basically what we did is we bought the house at fair market value, about $200,000. And then um, my grandparents only kept $40,000 of that profit. Mm-hmm. And, and they wrote us a check for the rest. Um, so now you know we've got about $160,000-ish to work with. And that, that was some seed money that accelerated our growth potential. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't want that to be a discouragement to our audience for, you know, to say that like, oh, they had this special circumstance and that's why they were able to grow so quickly. I mean, the reality is there are special circumstances everywhere you look and we were, we were able to create a win-win situation. My grandparents were in a position where if their roof needed to be replaced, they didn't have the money to do that. If their septic system failed, they didn't have the money to do that. So we were able to create a deal that created financial security for the rest of their lives for them. And um, 
also give us seed money to grow our business. Um, so at this point, like we, we've bought investment properties, the cash flow from those, those investment properties more than pay for the home that my grandparents live in. And they feel great about it. We feel great about it. We've been able to, to give them some opportunities they wouldn't have otherwise had. We, we let them know all the time that, hey, you are attached to our success. So, you know, when you see my name in a magazine, you might as well put your name right there next to it. Like we really, um, you know, they were a huge part of our success and they're proud of that. Um, And and I'm proud of that. So we bought a three unit that we gutted. One of the units to the studs did six months of labor on our own. Uh, Learned a ton during that experience. Won't do it again. My wife's father died in the middle of that rehab. He was passing away from cancer. We couldn't get our contractors, you know, the mortgages due, doing the rehab, but we need to be spending time with family. It was a whole disaster. So bought that three unit in the spring of 2020, bought another three unit in the summer of 2020, and then bought a six unit in at the end of 2020, which is one of my best deals to date. And then in 2021, we bought a 2021, we bought a four unit, bought a five unit, bought a four unit. And then yesterday we bought a seven unit. Amazing, man. Um, growing so, and growing yeah. and growing. Unbelievable. And no, I, I agree with you. I think the special circumstances, I think some people seek out that like, well, what was your advantage? But everyone has something that is their advantage, whatever it might be. Even just, you know, the fact that you can even look at buying real estate as an advantage in many cases. So, And I tell people all the time, if you can find a deal, I know Brandon Turner says this all the time. If you can find a deal there are so many people who are looking to generate a return on their money. Mm-hmm. And in large part, that's the category my grandparents fell into. They were looking to generate a return on the equity they had in their home, which was really their net worth at the time. Uh, so there's people, I, I mean, and now I'm on the other end. I tell young people all the time, like, if you can bring me a good deal, I'll buy it. Right. Like there's, there, you know, or, or I'll give you the money to buy it. There's, yeah. there's just plenty of people the skill of real estate investing is finding a great deal and creating a great deal and operating a great property. Um, yep. So that's, yeah, that's how we've gotten to, to where we are. And the rest of it's just like boring 20% down financing. <laughs> Makes sense. Tell me a little bit about as we wrap up here and then we'll go to the final question, but tell me a little bit about GoBundance. Three months in, what's your experience yeah. been? How is that? Why, why join? Give me a little bit there. Yeah. I always knew I was going to join GoBundance. Um, Brandon Turner was talking about it a, a few years ago. I, I wasn't anywhere close to the million dollar mark. And I, I said, when I become a millionaire, I'm joining GoBundance. And the reason for that is just to be a whole life millionaire, right? To um, somebody said, and I'm going to miss it, but success without fulfillment is failure. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to fall into that category. So, you know, I don't want to just like, create wealth. Obviously, I want to buy time freedom. I want to I want to use that time freedom now to like be abundantly healthy, be abundantly present with my family, um, create lasting, meaningful relationships, make an impact in the world, um, go on life-changing adventures. Like that's um so I think that the thing that attracted me to go abundance was just the commitment of the tribe to all six pillars not just kind of growing their net worth. Um, so and since joining, I am accountable to a person that I've never met, uh, another GoBro down in Texas. Uh, we, you know, we've got a daily accountability thing going with some push-ups and sit-ups. 
um, training for the grit games and the Spartan race team. I've definitely improved my health a lot since joining go abundance and improved my, uh, morning routine kind of locked down on a miracle morning. And that's, that's really been changing my life. My wife and I actually do it together. That's Um, cool. That's cool. So yeah, going going to Miami. I was going to ask you, are you going, you are okay, good. I'll see you there. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah, cool. I, I'm, I'm really excited. I know, I, I think we talked on the phone and I was telling you that, you know, it's going to be a tough decision for me. Um, you know, the scarcity mindset, it kicks in, it kicks in, it kicks in. Yeah. And and now that I'm in the tribe, I can't see myself ever, ever walking away from the tribe. because there's just so much value in the relationships. Because yeah, really, if you strip all of life down, if you strip all of life down to nothing, at the end of life, there's like food, water, shelter, and relationships. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And that's that's the thing that's hard to to quantify. I talk to a lot of people about abundance and they ask about it and they um a lot of people ask about like the features, the exchange of of dollars for what? What comes out that's of the it? The value. Right. Some people even ask um how does that money get allocated? So I I pay 10 or $15,000 to join like how does that money get allocated? I'm like, I don't know. There's people that work for abundance. They get, they get paid. There's a, whatever. And I always say, like, I, I honestly don't know. Maybe it's just not how my brain is wired, but I look at it as it's just the price of uh, admission to be in a room of people uh, that are uh, like you, thinking like you. And in the men's side, you know, millionaire entrepreneurial men who want all of life, not just financial success, but all of life and the same on the women's side. And, you know, it's like anything, you know, th- more often than not, when I think about the people, in my life that are, I, I feel like significant. I either knew them somehow, I got connected to them because of people I knew, or I paid for that proximity in some way, shape or form. Right. Yeah. And, um, uh, and the latter is, you know, GoBundance is obviously the, the, the biggest of those that I, I pay for proximity every year. My wife, my wife's make sure I make sure I know how much I pay. So mm-hmm. <laughs> let's, um, let's do this final question from the GoBundance card game. And the question is how long have you gone without cutting your hair head or face? Mm, this is going to be a really boring answer. I'm a cheap guy. Uh, so <laughs> I, I go as long as I can possibly go without it being unbearable for my wife. Um, and then I get a haircut at Walmart. Yeah. So three months, let's say, on uh, my hair. And um, I have been pretty much clean shaven as of late. When I was in college, I sailed on a commercial fishing vessel in Alaska roughly 60 or 70 days and i didn't shave during that time so look at you man i like that did you, how long did you get down to the chest how, how much did it uh, no i'd say like collarbone oh it's pretty good no, i wouldn't even say that i'd say maybe like re- real bushy two and a half <laughs> inches from the face if you pulled it though if you pulled it down and oh, yeah. if i like had all the elixirs and stuff there you, you know, go. really treated it well but it was much more of a caveman beard than that you want to go with even cheaper in the shower three times a week. It's it's, it's that easy. Man. It. I don't even have to pay for Walmart. So, <laughs> Riley, how do people learn more about you? Is there a social media handle, a website, your business, whatever you whatever it might be? Any place where you want to direct people? Yeah, great question. I'm sort of a <laughs> uh, a hobbit on on social media. Facebook, Riley Knox on Facebook. That's where I am most frequently. Or my email, Riley Knox. So R Y L E E dot K N O X nine six at gmail you're born i'm really good about responding to those were you born in 96 i was the year i think we said this the year i graduated high school insane 
God bless you, man. You're doing amazing things. I'm so uh, so glad we got this time together. That's what I love about the podcast. Like I talk to people, I see people, whatever, but the depth I get to go to here, it's like I get this uh, this exclusive right to meet every GoBundance guy. So it's amazing. And I appreciate you. What a story. I appreciate you pouring all into this today. And uh, we'll connect soon. I'll see you in about three weeks. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been, GoBundance has been great. I'm just glad to give back. 100%. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jamie. That's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. 